This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. American politics is now a very us-and-them world. Winners hold the privilege of power while defeat can close doors. Cassidy Hutchinson, who worked in the Trump administration, knows both sides. So I had this idea of Donald Trump in my mind that he was this outsized figure that could fix everything. That story and more coming up this West Virginia morning. Support for West Virginia morning is proudly provided by Luke Frazier. Appalachian Power says it's exploring legal options against the West Virginia Public Service Commission. Curtis Tate has more. In a decision Tuesday, the PSC denied the recovery of $232 million of the $553 million the company sought from electricity customers to account for higher fuel and purchase power costs from 2021 to last year. The PSC did allow the recovery of $321 million over 10 years. That amounts to $2.50 a month on the average residential customer's bill, and they will begin paying that on September 1st. In a statement, Appalachian Power President and Operating Chief Aaron Walker called the Commission's ruling disappointing and deeply troubling. The Kanawha County Commission, which asked the PSC to deny the entire amount, praised the decision and called it one of the most substantial disallowances in regulatory history. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Curtis Tate in Charleston. Appalachian Power is an underwriter of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Advocates are calling for a pay raise for the state's teachers. Chris Schultz has more. Governor Jim Justice and legislative leaders have already indicated they will pursue a pay raise for teachers and other state employees during the 2024 legislative session to help cover the increased cost of insurance. But at the State Board of Education meeting Wednesday morning, union representatives said the proposal isn't enough. Fred Albert is the president of the American Federation of Teachers, West Virginia. He and other speakers stress that low pay is contributing to the state's teacher shortage and requires a more aggressive approach. AFT supports increasing teacher and support staff funding and asked the West Virginia legislature to provide appropriate funding for a three-year salary increase package, a $7,000 raise across the board, and an automatic cost of living increase. Other legislative goals identified by the speakers included addressing discipline issues and a return of trust in education professionals. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Chris Schultz in Morgantown. A report from the Annie E. Casey Foundation found Latino children are the least likely to live in poverty in West Virginia. Emily Rice has more. The Race for Results report standardizes scores across 12 indicators to measure aspects of well-being from the child's infanthood to adulthood. In West Virginia, out of a possible 1,000 points, Latino children have a score of 568. Children of two or more races have a score of 513. White children have a score of 509. And black children have a score of 417. Leslie Bossier is the vice president of external affairs at the foundation. She said she thinks West Virginia's legislature should consider a child tax credit to assist families with financial stress. So we have evidence of some programs um, that have been affected in, in lifting kids out of poverty, and those could be effective for the state legislature to consider as well. For Appalachia Health News, I'm Emily Rice in Charleston. Appalachia Health News is a project of West Virginia Public Broadcasting with support from Charleston Area Medical Center and Marshall Health. 
The West Virginia Senate gaveled in at noon yesterday for its first day of the 86th legislature 60-day session. Brianna Heaney has more. The Senate began by introducing and completing the first reading on 37 bills. Another 162 mostly rules bills were introduced and sent directly to the appropriate committees for discussion. The bills on the first reading today were all bills that passed the Senate in last year's legislative session, but were not passed into law. A resolution to designate January as Human Trafficking Awareness Month was adopted. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Brianna Heaney in Charleston. Four groups filed a lawsuit in federal court Wednesday against the U.S. Forest Service. The Center for Biological Diversity, the Appalachian Highlands Conservancy, Appalachian Voices, and the Sierra Club accused the agency of failing to protect the endangered candy darter, a freshwater fish and other endangered species. The suit filed in U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia says the Forest Service issued a permit to the coal company to conduct road clearing and construction in the Monongahela National Forest near the candy darter's habitat. The groups say dust from coal trucks can contaminate the streams the fish inhabits. It says the Forest Service violated the Endangered Species Act and the National Environmental Policy Act by issuing the permit. Governor Jim Justice's final State of the State address Wednesday night highlighted the homespun phrases he's known for and millions of state surplus dollars proposed for a variety of projects. Randy Yowie has more. Governor Justice began his eighth and final State of the State address to a joint session of the legislature, reminding all in the room what his dad said. Don't confuse effort with accomplishment, and there's always something you can do. I believe that. I believe that if you give it to God above and you give your best and you give your best like nobody's business, good things will happen. He touted his efforts to provide school choice, to enhance tourism, and embrace diversifying the economy, adding his usual caveat of never forgetting fossil fuels. And for those crazies that are out there in la-la land that believe we can do without fossil fuels today, go back to your crazy stuff. You know, to be perfectly honest, I don't want to starve to death in the dark. On the heels of his personal income tax cuts, Justice proposed eliminating Social Security taxes on everyone and instituting a child and dependent care tax credit. To where folks that are struggling with daycare can at least write them off your, your taxes against your revenue. We need this, and we need this very badly, and we need it right now. Justice proposed $50 million for the state-of-the-art agricultural lab at West Virginia State University, $3 million for crisis pregnancy centers, $20 million for senior centers, $5 million for charter school growth, $150 million for the school building authority, and $100 million to bolster West Virginia hospitals. And this will help a lot of folks. You know, our West Virginia hospitals all across our land step up for us over and over and over and over and over. Justice pointed to an end of the two-year correction state of emergency with more than 350 National Guard members continuing to work in state jails and prisons. You know, we are, immediate, we are effective as we speak, downsizing the National Guard 
in our facilities. And it is my hope beyond belief that by the end of the summer, the National Guard will be out of our facilities and we will have solved this problem in many ways. A high school girls basketball coach for decades, Justice asked lawmakers to rethink the high school transfer rules that he said were creating lopsided scores in an uneven playing field. And we have made this situation to where we are going to absolutely, if we don't watch out, we are going to ruin, and I said ruin, high school sports in West Virginia. It's going to really hurt us. Now, I don't know exactly what the right solution is, but I'm telling you, there's some dead-gum smart people in this room, and today I am absolutely pleading with you to figure it out. As Justice finished his address, Speaker of the House Roger Hanshaw, a Republican from Clay County, introduced House Bill 4025, the governor's proposed budget appropriation for fiscal year 2025. And now the legislative debate will begin. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Randy Yowie in Charleston. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 7.52. Becoming mostly sunny today, windy in the mountains with highs in the 40s and low 50s. Partly cloudy tonight, lows in the 20s and 30s. And windy tomorrow with a chance of rain and snow, highs in the 40s. Support for WVPB is provided by the West Virginia State Treasurer's Office with a Smart 529 program. Recognizing West Virginia's teachers through the Above and Beyond Project. More at WVTreasury.com. American politics is now a very us-and-them world. Winners hold the privilege of power while defeat can close doors. Cassidy Hutchinson, who worked in the Trump administration, knows both sides. In the next episode of Us and Them, host Trey K. talks with Hutchinson about her memoir, Enough, which offers an intimate portrayal of life in the Trump White House. Hutchinson testified to the January 6th committee while some of her former superiors defied subpoenas. Here's an excerpt from our next episode. The first presidential race that grabbed Cassidy's attention was the Obama-Romney race in 2012. She was 12 or 13 years old and says she was immediately enamored. Most of her peers were Democrats but she felt herself being pulled towards a more Republican ideology. Her introduction to Donald Trump was his personality as a businessman. Her dad was a fan of the reality TV show The Apprentice that Trump produced and starred in. And he would say, like, I'm watching Donald Trump because I'm going to build a business like him. I'm going to make, he's going to help me become rich. He is the man that's going to help save all of the businesses in America. So I had this idea of Donald Trump in my mind that he was this outsized figure that could fix everything. I wasn't necessarily enamored by Donald Trump, but I saw how he had inspired my father and how he had also infiltrated the lives of a lot of people that I had known, in some ways positive, some negative. You know, it wasn't 
necessarily this universal, uh, he isn't this universal godlike figure in uh, New Jersey, but, you know, I did have this concept of him that he had achieved this great level of success. So, so you're in college during the first election in, in 2016, and you're a government studies student, um, and you're looking at, at a career in public service. I'm curious, like, what did you think of candidate Donald Trump? And, and how he fit into your vision of, of, of politics and perhaps uh, the, the Republican wing of politics. Yeah, I, um, and I realize that this answer isn't quite flattering and I've received some fleck for it, but it's, it's the truth. I, um, I, I voted for Donald Trump in 2016. I strongly identified as a Republican until that point and to this day. But I also never thought that Donald Trump would actually win. And again, I don't say this with pride, but when I voted for Donald Trump in 2016, it was sort of more of a throwaway vote because I didn't want to vote for Hillary Clinton. But when I cast my vote for him, I was very proud to cast my vote for him. I was very proud to cast my vote in my first ever election. I I, I just expected that it was going to be a, a landslide victory for Hillary Clinton. It wouldn't ever have to be something that we would worry about. In her sophomore year, Cassidy applied for internships in the office of every single House Republican. She accepted a position with then-majority whip Steve Scalise. There, she got the opportunity to meet members of the House Republican Conference, which set up for her next career move. So she worked with Representative Scalise and then-Senator Ted Cruz, and at the same time, she's getting to know Kevin McCarthy and Mark Meadows, and others. I went home after my first night, and I made flashcards for all of the members. On the front were their faces, and on the back were just some basic bio- biographical facts, like their name, their districts, what was important to their districts, their family. So I always had something to talk to somebody and, about. And I don't want to embarrass you right now, but you have cards. <laughs> it's a little have, embarrassing. You have cards set up here. Like You, you, you are somebody who really prepares, like, <laughs> right? Yeah, I, 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 Failure to prepare is preparing to fail. <laughs> <laughs> That's an excerpt from our latest Us and Them episode. You can download the whole show from Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, NPR One or Spotify. You can also listen online at wvpublic.org. Us and Them is supported by the West Virginia Humanities Council and the CRC Foundation. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Bill Lynch, Brianna Heaney, Caroline McGregor, Chris Schultz, Curtis Tate, Emily Rice, Eric Douglas, Liz McCormick, and Randy Yowie. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning. Mm-hmm.